0: Welcome to Wild Hearts at Work, a podcast redefining our relationship with work through stories and conversations with wild hearts who have dared to challenge the status quo. And now, here's your host, Melissa Boggs.
1: Welcome back to the Wild Hearts at Work podcast. I am your host, Melissa Boggs, and we are here with another episode. In this episode, my good friend Mike Berman has joined me. Hello, Mike. Welcome to the podcast.
0: Hello, Melissa. Thank you so much. It's, it's a really a big pleasure and an honor to be here today.
1: Yay. All right. So, Mike, can you start by just telling people a little bit about yourself?
0: Sure, I've been kind of you know working in product development for the last ten years or so. I've been in a bunch of different roles. I've been uh, a CEO of my own little startup, uh, working with like one other friend. I've worked inside of startups that had really rapid growth. I've been in big companies, and I've been in all sorts of different kinds of roles: scrum master, product owner, business analyst, product manager. So I've kind of been through a lot of different areas. I kind of have really found that I love product ownership and how I can serve people in that way and serve our customers.
1: And that's how we know each other. So let's just uh, jump right into that. So you and I met for the very first time at a Scrum Alliance hiring event probably two years ago or maybe more. I know there's a little bit of a story behind why you even attended the hiring event. Would you mind sharing that?
0: Yeah, it was kind of wild. I have been in a number of different companies, and I just wasn't seeing the potential of what I thought working in an agile or scrum environment could be. And I was kind of uh, a little bit just tired of looking and tired of searching and decided, you know, if if this is what work is going to look like, I think I'm going to go do my own thing. I actually plan on becoming a stock market investor. And I had a friend that said, you really got to come check out this interview. It's going to be really fun. Even if you don't want to work here, you got to try this interview because it's really unique. And that was my experience coming in was I'm just here for the interview to see what's going on. And it was the most amazing interview I've ever done. So part of this interview, I remember there were multiple other product owner candidates and I had to refine a, a backlog with other product owners at the same time. And that might sound like really like kind of scary and and intense, but after all that was done, like we all went to lunch together and we shared our phone numbers and our LinkedIn. We're like, let's all support each other. This is really great. Came back and we had this you know, lean coffee where we were just talking about what we know. And it was just really amazing way of connecting with all the different people and hearing a lot of truth that I hadn't really experienced an interview, right? Most people are trying to sell things to you rather than saying, here's what's really going on. And it was really clear that at the end of the interview that I'm like, this is what I've been looking for. This is what I've been trying to find for so long and didn't think existed anymore. And there it was.
1: (laughs) Amazing. So it was a little bit of my wild heart shining through in the design of those events. And I'm I plan to at some future date have an episode where I literally just talk about the hiring event. So I won't go too deep into those, but but I will say that, you know, what you experienced was exactly what we were going for. You know, we were going for creating an experience where someone creative, innovative, energetic found themselves belonging rather than, you know, trying to like fit, you know, into some corporate, boring, six interview long process where, you know, halfway through it, you're like, I've told my life story four times already. So I'm glad that that's the experience that you had. What that tells me, my friend, is that you may be a little bit of a wild heart yourself.
0: Yes. Yeah. I was just thinking that nothing drives me more crazy than doing things because that's the way they're done. Right. Following oh. the status quo. And and i it's just reminding me of a conversation I had a long time ago. I was I was working with a team of people and they were working fifty plus hours. They're all tired, they're all grumpy and annoyed of each other, and we had all sorts of bugs in our product. And I went to management, I said, This has gotta stop. Like we can't have these guys working. As long as they are, they're tired, right? I can point you to the data that says this is too long. They need some time off. They need to be, you know, cut their hours short, make them go home. And I remember them saying, I agree with you, but we got to get our product out. So we're going to do it anyway. I'm like, but the product is slow because of this problem.
1: Right. (laughs) Like a chicken in the egg, like, but it's not because it's clear what the the root cause is here. Yeah. Um, So what happened in that story?
0: they continued to burn themselves out and it was exhausting. And I, I worked there for about a year and I just said, I can't do this anymore. I actually, it's the only time in my entire life that my blood pressure was high. Mm-hmm. Uh, I put on weight. I was like, this is, this is actually literally killing me to be doing this. And you know, we were doing great work, but it was really tough. And we actually had a, a big kind of come to term with this attitude kind of thing when the bugs got so bad that we actually had to shut down our services for a month and a half just to fix them. Like it shut down the company and it was like, and I'm sitting there going, "I knew this was going to happen. <laughs> How could it not? When you you know treat people like this,
1: yeah, consequences.
0: <laughs> yeah, you
1: know, people always talk about results, and those are probably the results you don't want. Man, that's rough. So we've established your wild heart. I'm going to overuse this phrase, by the way, like, I think by episode, you know, 15, I'm going to actually have to stop saying it in every episode, but I am curious if you would be able to define it. Like, what does it mean when you say, yes, I am? How do you relate to that?
0: Well, it's funny because I spent the last week and a half or so reading Find Your Why by Simon Sinek, and I've been really trying to discover what my why is. And identify with that, and and I actually found that kind of the, the golden thread there of my my history and my life has really been about pushing boundaries and finding that on the other side of that is greater fulfillment and meaning. So you know, any opportunity that I have, it doesn't matter what the situation is. I'm like, but what's really possible? Like, where could we really go with this? And finding that almost always, right. That these boundaries that I think exist for, or for myself or for my team or the people I'm working with aren't real. And there's always something a lot more powerful on the other side of that.
1: I think that's what's like the last part that you just said is so important because I think often people like ourselves are viewed as just almost like rebellious for no reason, right? Oh, you're just, you know, rejecting the status quo because, because where I think many of us who see the world that way, it's because we see something else on the other side. Like, I think that's what's so important about what you said. It's not for the sake of like being a pain in the ass. It's because there is something on the other side that is even better, that is even, you know, more valuable or worth pushing for. So, yeah, I love the way that you phrase that um curious often when we see you know when we are something we see others that are like us how how do you spot those other people like you how do you spot the creatives the the innovators in an organization can you spot them do you spot them right away and how
0: so i think first is speaking authentically Putting yourself out there first is is kind of the best way to kind of open up that door to let other people say their own truth. And that was a big part of why I wanted to find my why so that I could speak to it and actually say, like, really put myself out there and say, this is who I am. What do you believe? I think as well, I don't actually know anybody who isn't at some level creative and passionate. You know, I've met people in a bunch of different workplaces. Like, I just want to do my job. Like, you know, just tell me what to do kind of thing. But then when they're given the opportunity to really think and, and move towards something that they're passionate and excited about, they just start bursting with all sorts of ideas. And, you know, again, it's like, I think they hold back because they don't believe it's possible that they can live into those values and those ideas. So it's the responsibility of the people around them, people like me, to make sure that they can do that.
1: Yeah. That's a really excellent point. I've had other guests say something similar that like we all have like Doug Harrison, my very first episode said, you know, it's like everyone I know has that in them. So it makes you think about like, there maybe are just some of us who have had the opportunity to be supported in that more frequently and therefore we seek it out. And like you said, now we have a responsibility to sort of, you know, reach a hand out and like help other people feel supported in the same way. I actually think that's really beautiful.
0: Yeah. I I talk a lot as a product owner. I've done a few you know short talks and I, I like to joke that product owners are, and I mean that in the sense that like as an individual, I can't possibly think of everything. I don't have all the perspectives or the ideas to really make great products. So for me, my self-interest is like, I actually really want and need everyone on my team to really be energized and thinking about what we can do and coming up with ideas. And yeah, when, when I'm working with a great group of people, I'm almost never the one that has the right idea. It's always the people around me.
1: So I'm sure that's true, but I also know you've had some great ideas and you just gave me a perfect segue. So I know that there are some things that you have done and sort of introduced to teams in the past. Are there any of those that you'd like to share?
0: Yeah. So it was really interesting because when we worked together, we went on to an unlimited PTO uh, plan. And it was really funny because my team immediately panicked because we were like, we're all workaholics. We never want to leave. What are we going to do? We're never going to take a vacation again. Just tell us to take vacation. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and so I spent a lot of time actually thinking about, well, what's the most appropriate way to take vacation and started looking at a lot of you know, research that other people have done around time off and kind of came up with a, a plan or a baseline to start with and said, you know, let's try this and let's see if it works and we'll track it. Uh, and actually found that for every eight weeks that we worked, we should take a week off. And that that was actually came from a study and we found, you know, by tracking our own data, that that was pretty close to, to what actually worked best for us. Um, but, and for Americans, <laughs> that's a lot of vacation. Like, And it was really surprising to look at something like that and deal with that discomfort of, you know, this idea that you have to work hard and working hard means working long hours and say, well, actually, you know, our creativity and our focus and our happiness, like it all starts to drop around week six or seven. Like we actually need to take that time to actually be more effective at what we do.
1: Absolutely. And the results are there. Same thing, right? The positive results are there. Yeah, I certainly remember that. I also remember something that you're very passionate about that we didn't quite get to in our organization together, but I think it's very cool. That's somewhat related. And I know you know what I'm talking about.
0: Yep, I do. It was one of the more frightening moments because we used to host these user groups inside of our building. And there was one day where I was talking at one of these user groups and I, I had been to a lot of user groups before this, but this was the first time that I was working with you in our in our organization. And I said, you know, if you really want to be bold as an organization, you need to let people sleep at work, right? And this was like a really like crazy statement. I'm like, you know, I've, I read this book, Why We Sleep, our pattern of staying awake all day long. It's not natural. Again, it's one of those things that's kind of counterintuitive and so against the grain of our cultural norms to do something like that, but it's, it's has all these benefits it, it does make you more productive, more creative, you know? And I kind of threw out there, it's like, you know, NASA does this and so does Mercedes Benz. So why not you? Right. And I'm literally standing there talking about all this stuff. And I'm like, but we don't do this. And I'm telling people in my own organization in public, like, you know, kind of this challenge, like let's rise up to this challenge kind of thing to do it.
1: <laughs> and clearly I never forgot it because it yeah. comes up every time we talk because I, I think it's, I think it's brave to even bring it up. And I think it would be very brave if, you know, we were to hear about more organizations doing it. You know, I actually think that the pandemic, uh, you know, with all of the not good things that have happened, it has sort of started to unravel some of that. So, you know, in a previous episode, The Great Reckoning, I was talking about how it broke open just this idea that you have to be sitting at your desk from eight to five, and that's the only way that you're productive and you have to be in person and whatnot. We got a lot more understanding of like human needs because the pandemic forced us to. And not just because we're working from home, but because people had families and people had their own sick relatives that they were taking care of. And so we were like, okay, we're going to be really understanding and really flexible. And surprise, work still got done, you yeah. know? And so I don't know, maybe napping at work is not as far off as it was maybe two years ago, right?
0: Maybe not. I don't know many people that talk about I will talk about it. I took a nap today.
1: Hey. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah. So another thing we talked about a lot at Scrum Alliance is our values right we talked day in and day out about the scrum values and and how important those were to us as an organization and i know that's something that you care a lot about so i'm curious if one you can share you know if it's not too personal what your core values are and then how you see them in action in your life
0: yeah I've actually been working a lot on trying to define my own core values. I do really love Brene Brown's braving. There's a lot of value in that. And I've been kind of incorporating some additional parts to that. And yeah, in, in part of the discovery of trying to define my own values, I've actually seen some of the impacts that I I didn't realize this was the, the trigger for some of those challenges in my past. And they were actually really meaningful. And I was thinking about it in, in a specific way, like a specific scenario of how Values need to show up. And one of the things I like to say is values should be verbs. And there's a reason for that. Um, So one of the two really common values, and and we shared these values when we worked together, but I think a lot of organizations have these values are courage and respect. And I was thinking about a scenario where one person says, you know, I have a lot of authority and I know what I'm talking about. Just do what I say, right? It's going to work out in the end. And someone else may be thinking, I don't like what you're saying. It makes me uncomfortable. This doesn't seem right. So the question then is for that person that doesn't feel comfortable with that. How do you live into your values? Right. And if courage is your value, then the question becomes, well, how do you define courage? Right. Cause if it's, if courage is uh, I'm going to stand up and I'm going to speak out right now, that's one way to handle it. Courage could also be, I'm going to have the courage to be humble. I'm going to listen. Maybe I'll learn something. This person clearly has authority. It could be that courage is, I'm going to persevere, right? This isn't my time to pick this fight, but I'm going to keep holding on to this. I'll let this slide, but I'm going to keep holding on to this. On the other side of that is respect, right? And and you may have different ways of defining respect. Respect might be, I respect authority. This person said, do it. I'm going to do it. That's what respect. It could be that I respect this person. I'm not going to call them out because there's other people around. I'm going to wait until I can have a private conversation, right? Or it could be that, hey, I respect this person. I know that they want to grow. I know that they're tough. I can throw anything at them. They'll understand. They're, they're going to learn from what I'm doing here. Right. So part of the challenge with all of these different ways of interpreting it is like, number one, you have to kind of define, well, how do you live into these values in that moment? And that can be really difficult. There's all sorts of different permutations there of those two, and they're conflicting. And then you also have to take into account, well, how does this person that's talking about just do what I tell you, how do they define courage and respect? Because if they're not in alignment, you're gonna have a challenge or a problem there. Something that I borrowed from Lenny Noyles, it's something that I, if you don't know him, he's he's a fantastic coach that lives around uh, the Denver area and I talk to him all the time. And something he said that has stuck with me and I keep referring back to is holding people to expectations that they didn't agree to isn't fair. Mm -hmm. And, and this is kind of one of those places that's really hard to identify, right? That you may have an assumption about how, oh, this is how I define courage. This must be how they define it. But if they don't define it the same way, it's, it's going to come off as unfair. Um, and It's going to be a, a really big challenge. So I said that this had like a really big personal impact on me because for me, I define courage as I'm going to be that one that's going to stand up and I'm going to say, this doesn't feel right. I don't like it. I need to say something right now. At the same time, I, res- I have this idea of respect of like, you're strong, you'll take this, you'll grow from it, this is valuable to you, All right? So I'm living into my values when I say something like that. And I learned, I did this with my own boss at the time and, and close friend. And, and then I did this with another person on my team that I was, you know, we were kind of having some challenges and I saw some challenges and said, I need to speak up on them. And instead of the person responding the way I hoped they would of, Thank you for bringing that to my attention. Thank you for your honesty. Let's figure this out. Let's grow together. They said, you're mean. I don't like the way you're talking to me. I don't want to work with you anymore, um, which was devastating, right? <laughs> and for a long time, I couldn't understand that. Like, I couldn't even say that I'm sorry because I was living into my values. I didn't understand what had happened. And it wasn't until later that I went. It's because they didn't have that same expectation of how I should act in that situation. And so it didn't feel okay to them.
1: Yeah. And that's tough. It's so tough because when you have that clash of values, like we don't, like you, like we don't always see it immediately. So you can't always even talk about it. Like yeah. you're feeling, and especially I'm a huge believer of living into your values. I think I've, you know, that's incredibly important, But you can become very rooted in that and like concrete and less flexible in that moment because you are clinging so tightly to these values. And you're like, but I'm living out my values. So I've I've certainly experienced that too. And I think it probably is especially challenging when your definition even bounces through each of the three that you just, you know, shared. Like sometimes I feel like courage is you know, stepping up and saying the thing. Sometimes I feel like it's, you know, taking someone aside. And what I feel like I'm doing is, you know, responding to the moment in the situation. And that's a good thing. But it also means that people don't always know what to expect from me because my definition has a spectrum. Maybe it's not that it changes. It's just that it has a spectrum. And so I think this is where it's so important that we have conversations about this, that we talk about it, you know, in our teams or with our boss or whatever it is. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I think that conversation is, is really the very important part of that. And again, it's really about setting those expectations of like, how are you expected to respond to something? And I think equally, right. You're going to have times where you just don't align. And being able to recognize that, and also set the expectation that that's a place to have a conversation, is really important. Because, like in those scenarios that I just talked about, right, the the response was, "Let's just shut this out down, right? We're gonna not talk anymore." When both of us were, you know, had cared quite a bit about each other before that, so this was an opportunity where I wish that expectation we had set. Like, hang on, neither of us are trying to hurt each other. What's going on? How are we off on our alignment?
1: Yeah, for sure. I literally see that with my children. you know and luckily you can be outside of it with your kids and you can say hey like you know intention and impact are different here impact is what matters however let's recognize intention and have a conversation so yeah I really love that I love the work that you're doing in terms of like the internal work it's just so important not only to do it but to talk about it and to normalize doing that kind of work yeah okay I want to shift gears a tiny bit I want to ask you If you could speak to some of your past or future leaders, if you were like in a conference room and they're sort of all in the room and you could talk about what it's like to be, I don't want to just say a wild heart because again, I don't want to overuse this phrase, but someone who's so brimming with like creativity and innovation, what did you hope that they would notice about you? How did you hope that they would identify that in you?
0: That's a really interesting question. Um, It's making me think of something I just wrote down not that long ago, an idea that came into my head. And it was that bad leaders limit potential. Great leaders help people see the potential they didn't even know they had. And I think that's something that really stands out to me is wanting a leader that understands that, that I'm there with ideas that I have ideas that I want to bring things forward, that I want to try things and basically, you know, not just ask permission to like, let me go do that, but, you know, have that support to continue and, and drive for that. That's, I think that's really what I look for in a leader.
1: Excellent. So let's flip that question. You've led, you know, your startup and I have to imagine more to come. How are you going to check yourself? to make sure that you're identifying that in people that are working with you.
0: Yeah. I mean, part of all that internal work is for that reason. It's, it's so much about, you know, identifying my why, identifying my values to make sure that there's a stable foundation so that the very first people I talk to, even if they're just kind of helping me out can really understand like where I'm coming from and some of the expectations that I have and and be able to build on that. Um, and then I think there's just a level of, of humbleness to be able to say like, look, I have a very narrow perspective. I have some things I'm very good at, some things that I'm not. And I, I invite other ideas. Like I need those other ideas for the success of the people that we're trying to do and the mission that we're trying to accomplish.
1: Amazing. Have you found yourself in the presence of leaders like that, where you felt super comfortable, super safe? and able to do your best work.
0: Yeah. Yes. A few. (laughs) Melissa, not to make you blush, you're one of them.
1: (laughs) Oh, I was not leading in that direction, but okay.
0: (laughs) (laughs) You fell into that trap. No, I've met a few. It's, It's sad how rare it is. And I think that's, it's a sad thing to say that, that I haven't met a lot of leaders that are like that, especially leaders of, or, you know, hierarchical leaders rather than Leaders in the sense of helping other people, and it's part of why I've gone on to you know do my startup because I'm I'm just not seeing it uh, created in the world. That said, I'm thinking of a CEO that I had when I first graduated college, and one of the things he said to me that I just loved, he loved to reference this story about a guy who made a huge mistake and it cost the company a hundred thousand dollars, and he was really scared to come to his boss and and admit to his mistake, but he comes and he says, you know. I just made this huge mistake. I'm sorry. I cost you all this money. Are you going to fire me? And his boss looks at him and goes, "Why would I fire you? I just spent a hundred thousand dollars on your training." <laughs>
1: oh, I love that. Oh, that's so good.
0: Yeah, yeah. I'm also thinking of you know my best friend. He he runs a a gym for uh, kids uh, in Boulder, and I've talked to him, and you know he talks about like he's done every single job he's ever asked anybody to do. Like he knows so much about what's going on and. He's willing to do anything that you ask anybody else to do, and willing to support them any way he can. And his employees are like family. I mean, they're they're so close. He talks about like anytime he asks for time off or needs help on something, like his employees just jump and say like I, I can help. Like I want to help. You know?
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, there's definitely a relationship that is formed when people feel safe, and that's regardless of like the hierarchy, whether they're a leader, quote unquote, or you know what not i mean when you can create that kind of safety there's a relationship and with that relationship comes going back to it again creativity innovation you know we talk about this all the time with companies you know we talk about the importance of innovation what we don't talk about is the relationships we talk about it like it's a process we yeah. we talk about it like it's a thing that you plug in when at the end of the day actually it's about like a network of relationships that, that create the space to do that work. So, yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, trust is just so fundamental to any of this stuff working well.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Trust safety and kind of like the consistency of it all, probably the most important because you can, you can have like an example I've been using a lot lately. If you have a hackathon, but you only have it once a year, and there's nothing else that supports it, then 364 days of the year, you have nothing. Then all the hackathon is going to do is highlight the fact that you don't have any sort of innovation for 364 days a year, you know? And so that's where the relationships, the network, the trust, all of it comes in, you know, on a more consistent basis.
0: Yeah, definitely.
1: All right. Another question. How would your first boss and whatever that might've been, like could be, you know, babysitting could be the grocery store. How would your first boss have described you?
0: Interesting. So the first boss I had, I was working uh, behind the counter at a, a local like sandwich shop. And I remember at the end of the year, he said, you know, I was 14 years old. And he said, you got to find another job. You're too good for working here.
1: Oh.
0: <laughs> I was like, but I love working here and I love to eat the food that I make.
1: Here. Right. I can imagine you though coming in and like being like analyzing the the like the lineup of the meats and cheeses and like figuring out the most efficient way to get them across. All right. So what's the description though? Like what would he have said about Mike?
0: I think I think he would have talked about kind of some of that enthusiasm that I had to the to bring to the job and some of these very different perspectives. I remember the whole reason I had a job is that I was trying to pay for a, a ski racing camp. And so I had like a tip jar with like a story of like why you should, you know, bring tips in and that kind of thing. And it increased their tips like three or four times the amount just by having, you know, some of those tips in there. Um, but yeah, I just you know, I was reliable. I I really cared about what we were doing. I really love to engage with, you know, people coming in and, you know, I, partly I've worked there because I love the food. So <laughs> I think that passion was, was there. It was like, yeah, I'm making great food and come share in this great food, everybody, you know,
1: <laughs> I love that. So I have to imagine all of the things that you just described. Don't just apply to work. Do you see some of those qualities? I know this is like uncomfortable at making you say nice things about yourself, but I think <laughs> it's important. Do you see those qualities reflected in your hobbies and in your family life or you know, things outside of work?
0: Yeah, so part of this why discovery that we did involves hours of talking about stories about yourself and the other person listening and trying to understand themes and, and bringing those to your attention. And then you go and talk to your best friends and you ask them, why do you like me? which is like the most awkward conversation ever. Oh,
1: I love right? it though.
0: <laughs> right <laughs> and you and you're not allowed to let them off the hook either. So when they're trying to, you know, they're stumbling trying to answer, you just got to let them keep going. And it was really amazing the things that they would say at the end of that because they talked about, you know, this connection that they, that they had with me that they didn't get from other places or how, when, no matter what's happened in my life, that I keep finding a way to, to push and find new ways of doing things and continuing forward. Um, and, and yeah, I mean, you know, Melissa, that I've had like this very long athletic history. You know, I, I trained to be a U.S. Olympic skier when I was a kid and then I uh, had some really awful things happen in my life that kind of broke that down and was left in a place where, you know I was I was about as low as you could get where you know I just didn't have much of a a future ahead of me. I didn't think I was going to finish college or have a full-time job and certainly never thought I'd be an athlete in the future. But I just kept plugging away, like, how can I improve the situation? What really are my limits? Where can I go with this? And I ended up you know spending ten years doing parkour and was good enough to be in commercials where I made money doing parkour. I got into climbing mountains and now I've climbed mountains all over the world and Kilimanjaro, excuse me, I've climbed Mount Kilimanjaro, I've climbed mountains in Mexico, I've climbed like all the biggest mountains in the Rockies. Now I'm really into downhill mountain biking and I jump my bike over really big jumps and things like that. And all of that has to do with like, what's really possible for me? How far could I really go with this? And that's part of why I'm doing this startup. Like it's scary and I'm really unsure of it, but I'm like, but could I like, what is my limit here? Like, how far could I take this? I want to know.
1: I love it. I know I maybe I don't know, maybe it doesn't make you uncomfortable because the, the find your why is giving you some practice. But <laughs> but part of the reason I always ask people these types of questions on the podcast is I do think that sometimes people who are challenging or people who are, you know, looking for new ways of doing things can be seen as obstacles And I really want the leaders who are listening or ourselves who are, you know, future leaders to recognize how much opportunity there is in these people. And that these people inherently, it's not that some of the stuff can't be learned, but either you inherently have it or you've been supported enough to develop it in your career. And it doesn't just stop with work. You know, it's a creative energy. It's an enthusiasm. It's a, you know, uh, everything that you just said, you know, that exists in your employees, probably like you said, all of them. But, you know, the ones who are especially vocal might be the ones easy to think, oh, you know, why can't they just do their job? Because they can't. They can't just do their job. They can't not want to make things better. And especially the ones that are really focused on people. They can't not want to make things better for other people in the organization. Like it's part of their DNA. And we are much better off when we lift those people up and we see the opportunity.
0: Yeah, and you mentioned earlier what kind of leader I look for. And and as you were saying that, I was thinking of the late uh, Tony Tsai. And he talks about, some leaders try to be the greenest plant in the greenhouse and everyone should try and emulate them and grow to be them and he's the kind of leader that thinks of himself as the greenhouse itself he's there to help all the other plants grow and and that's the kind of leader that I think we need i mean again in my experience the people i work with they're all passionate at some level they're all smart they all are capable they just you just need to find kind of the right ways to let them you know spread their wings and do what they they want to be doing
1: yeah absolutely and and i don't mean to for any of the leaders listening who feel like they're being attacked by me right now you know that's not at all my intention i actually think that historically we haven't necessarily taught leaders to look for that you know like there's probably sort of a societal generational cultural gap that exists where you know We need to unlearn and relearn how to look for those opportunities and remember that people are people, they're not resources, and that they have something to offer beyond just what we expected. And that should be exciting, right? Like you hire someone based on a job description and you get more than you asked for. That should be awesome. Like that should be expected, you know, or sorry, that should be, um, exciting that it's beyond what you expected. But, you know, it can be a little scary when you don't know what to do with it because you haven't been taught.
0: Yeah, yeah. I I think a lot of the challenge that we see is people coming out of school and, you know, they've learned through many, many years how to answer questions and something that I really appreciate, something that Elon Musk talks a lot about, right? He talks a lot about how uh, the first thing he wants to teach people when they come out of school is not how to answer questions. It's how to ask the right questions, right? And really pushing for that. And I think something else that you said kind of made me think of this too. It's like this idea that business is usual, like, you know, kind of the status quo, like this actually isn't usual. We haven't had a lot of these business practices for that long. You go back a hundred years and everything was completely different. And, you know, so we're still very much experimenting with these business models. And I think they're, free game to continue to modify and change and develop.
1: Oh, I love that so much. <laughs> I absolutely agree. And I love it so much. All right. I want to ask you a little bit about this journey that you've been on with find your why. Oh, is there anything? I, I know you're still on it to a certain degree, but mm-hmm. are there things that have stood out that just floored you, whether it was about the process itself and the book or your own journey and what you were taking away from it?
0: Yeah. So I think there's two things. Number one was how important it really is to me. You know, once I really understood where the why lives, right? It, it lives in part of the, the the limbic system of the brain, right? The emotional center where we make a lot of our decisions, right? And it's a, it's a space that doesn't have language in our brain and is actually very, very difficult to put words to. Um, but understanding like that's really the core of our humanity. That's how people our customers, our employees, that's how they relate to us. And being able to understand that is is critical to how we show up in the world. So that's, that's one. The other was that I was completely on a different level of what my why was going into it. I really thought looking back that, oh, it's got to have something to do with leadership or empowerment. And then through that why discovery, I discovered that it was actually something much deeper that was driving me. And it kind of put all the pieces together. And a lot of things that I've Uh, done or made choices about in my life before doing that discovery suddenly made sense in that context that never made sense before. And that wasn't just my experience. I did this with my now new manager at my new job and he had the same exact experience. He's like, I didn't realize it was this deep.
1: Wow. I kind of, what, what came up for me when you were describing it, when you were talking about everything clicking, like I literally imagined sort of standing in front of an open door and taking a huge deep breath of fresh air, like, oh my goodness, there it is. And like the door is open now because I can breathe and I, I see things clearly and now I can kind of walk out into the world. So for whatever that's worth, that's kind of how it hit me. That was my visualization of it.
0: Yeah, it, it feels like that. It feels like I have a new sense of focus and a new way of you know identifying what's really important and how to move forward. I remember being really scared too you know, going into this, I was like, what if I find out that my why is a completely different direction? I've been going with my life and I'm going to have to quit my job and change everything to follow it. Fortunately, that wasn't the case, but
1: (laughs) (laughs) I feel like that's happened to people though. Like you see, you know, you hear these stories of people taking like a 90 degree turn with their life and, and it generally, while scary ends up exactly where they should have been because they kind of got to the bottom of what made them tick. So I love that you're on this journey. We may have to talk down the road when you're kind of, I don't know if you're ever completely finished, but you know, when you're toward the end, how that is playing out for you. So as we're starting to wrap up, are there any final thoughts or anything you wanted to share with people or a way for people to get in contact with you?
0: Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I kind of, Already shared my why. I'll share it you know, again with you, right? My why is to to push boundaries uh, of what we believe is possible so that we can find greater fulfillment and meaning. And I've started my own business, as we've kind of referenced a couple of times, it's called Human Business Culture. There is not much on the website yet, but I am in that process right now of identifying value propositions and, and different ways of approaching things. And one of the things I really want to focus on right now is finding the leaders out there who are creating these new businesses, the future places to work and helping them build human-based cultures right from the very beginning and, and making sure that they can protect that as it goes down the road. So if that's something that you're interested in or want to learn more about or just talk to me about, please reach out to me. I'm, I'm on LinkedIn as Michael Berman or you can email me at mberman at humanbusinessculture.com.
1: It's so exciting. You have an official email.
0: <laughs> yes.
1: <laughs> I've been privileged to be you know, in the cheering squad on the sidelines of this venture. So I'm really excited for what this is going to mean for you and what it's going to mean for the world. So for those of you listening, thank you again for joining us for this episode of Wild Hearts at Work. This has been my dear friend, Mike Berman, and I appreciate you being on the podcast. I appreciate your vulnerability and all the work that you're doing. So thank you for sharing your story with us, Mike.
0: Yes, thank you. And thank you for all the listeners out there that paid attention to me.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So if you're listening and you love it, please like, share, subscribe. I also now have a Patreon if you'd like to support the podcast. There are four different tiers that includes exclusive merchandise and also a monthly newsletter. There's all kinds of stuff on there. So feel free to check out the Patreon. But most of all, thanks for joining us. Thanks for your support. And until next time, dear hearts, stay wild.
0: Thanks for joining us for this episode of Wild Hearts at Work. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and share. For more resources and to connect with Melissa, visit melissabogs.com. Also, if you or someone you know is doing great work in a wild way, get in touch about being a guest on the show. Until next time.